Welcome to the Author Blur Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Maynard. Today, you're going to get, at least hopefully you get the same amount of information and benefit out of the conversation that I have. And my conversation with Janine Bowling is wonderful, fantastic. Her books are providing information that is going to be very helpful to you if you feel you need them. And who doesn't need a little help every now and then in the finance world, understanding things, looking at divinity in different aspects, finding that way to do podcasts, do interviews, do things better to promote yourself. And her other book, Solo Entrepreneur, that helps you build a business and understanding the basics to getting started. It's a fantastic conversation. I can't say enough about the time that her and I had discussing her books. I hope you enjoyed as well. So take the time, find her profile, find all the information about her there, go to her website, buy her books, engage with her as she tells you that she's happy to do and she puts time aside for it. So with all that being said, before we get into the show, I always like to remind you, take the time, go to authorblurb.com where you're going to find profiles on today's guest, past guests, future guests. You'll find articles that the guests have written. You'll find different information like the podcast and where you can find them. If you don't want to listen to them on my website, you can Find them and subscribe to your chosen preferred place. And if it's not on your player or where you like to listen, shoot me a line. Let me know. I promise you, I will make sure it gets up there. Other than that, I appreciate you being here. The authors appreciate you listening to them. And as always, tell people, share it, give back however you feel is the best way to do it. I appreciate anything you do. So thank you. Enjoy. And I'll talk with you soon. So I'm here with Janine Bullen. And we're here to talk about her 12 books. And I mean, it's a list of varieties in four different categories. And as everybody, Janine, knows that's listened to the show, I'm well accustomed to letting you describe yourself, your books, because you're going to do a much better job than I can. There's only so much gushing I can do before people think I'm just weird. So if you don't mind, can you tell us a bit about yourself and then tell us about some of your books? Well, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity, number one, to be on your show, and number two, to be able to speak to your community that you've taken so much care to put together. You're a very considerate interviewer. I've been on multiple shows. I just wanted to say you really bring a TLC to this program that is quite delightful. So I just wanted to share that with your community. Um, as far as me and the books I wrote, I started off as a college professor. I was teaching mathematics and physics. I had worked as an analytical biochemist for over 15 years in big pharma. And so it was really my students who got me started writing books because I couldn't find textbooks. I couldn't find books that were appropriate for them that didn't have a lot of fluff. And remember, this was in the mid to early 90s that I was doing a lot of this, and I just couldn't find what I was looking for. So there was this new thing out called vanity publishing. You were so vain that you would publish your own work. And I happened to stumble upon one of these companies, and I said, hey, I have a book I want to do. And that was the very first one, Money, It's Not Just for Rich People. And then it really, every book I have written since then has been at the behest and the demands of my students. <laughs> All right. So what's the, I guess, 
are most of your books going to be educational? Like, I know you have the finance area, you have divinity, you have even podcasting for authors. You have a whole slew of them. So are they all written in the textbook format? Because I enjoy reading. I've read a lot of books that are meant to guide you big into body language and psychology type of things like that. But some of them are written so dryly that you get through the first chapter and you're like, do I really want to finish this? Right. I don't how, blame you. Uh, how about your books? How are they directed? How are they written in the sense of, is it meant to entertain or educate or a mixture of the both? I will use the formula that every college professor knows, and that is 90% of our job is entertainment 10% is educational. And so my books are meant to entertain, but I kind of make it more 70% entertainment, 30% content. My whole goal is that you are able to read my books in under an hour. Now, not all of them can have that, have that but for the most part, that was my goal was I wanted people to be able to get on a plane in Los Angeles and have the book done before they hit New York City. So that was really where I was trying to write to. And my students, even the ones who say that they really despise reading, I've had so many people come up and go, oh my gosh, Janine, I absolutely loved your book. You kept it light. You kept the content easy. And that's not me saying it. That's my students. And they are a tough crowd. They will let you know <laughs> if you're not up to scratch. They have no difficulty getting on Facebook and letting you know that what they think with a, a fake handle or something like that. But no, people seem to enjoy it. And that's the way that it was really meant to be written. I wanted to be consumable content. And what I meant by that before we had YouTube and all that, because YouTube at the time that I was writing my first couple of books, YouTube was a new platform that we were moving on to. And it was one of the, because it didn't come out in 2006 and I started writing in 2005. And so right. it wasn't until 2007 that if you dig around in YouTube, you can find these really old videos of me holding up my book and going, this is what you can learn in my book. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I look at those old videos and I'm like, I, you didn't have spotlights. You didn't have, you know, you didn't have these studios like we do now. And so please oh, be yeah. kind. <laughs> well, if I remember correctly, YouTube, I believe, started with people mailing in cassettes to them and them converting them digitally to put on the, the internet. That so, was the beginnings, 2003 through 2004. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, Netflix, some of those, you could get them on uh, CDs. You'd get them in the mail. <laughs> yes. Hey, I started with it before they even did the streaming service. So I remember getting those DVDs in the mail and watching and sending them back. Yeah, those those were the fantastic days. I remember them well. <laughs> but so you started with a purpose to help your students get into it, to learn, to enjoy it. And it sounds like they've really done so the reviews online sounds like people really enjoy your books what so you started with finance it sounds like what made you go from finance to podcasting for authors then on to the divinity and then the other topics that you go into right so like i said most of this was driven by my students so from 2005 to roughly 2015, I was known as a financial first responder. And I was doing nothing but teaching the principles of my very first book, which was the 60-40 principle and all that. So there was a huge, there was a huge slew, a wave of financial help that was hitting the 
the country at that time. That's where you had Susie mm -hmm. Orman and David Bach and uh, Dave Ramsey, and, and there's just a whole slew, uh, Kiyosaki. They all hit about the same time I did. And I think it was just an inspiration you know, from the country of people who were like, look, you don't have to look at your money the way that you've been taught. And all of us were working very hard to help people get out of debt. And that was really the focus. It, we were known as downshifters at that time. And so that was pretty much what I was doing. But in about 2015, I had a major life event. And during that life event, um, a lot of situations and experiences that I had when in my youth kind of came to the front. And I was asked by a Native American if I'd ever been struck by lightning. And I was like, yes, I was struck by lightning when I was in middle school. And the next thing I know, I am immersed in the First Nations, the tribal ceremonies, that sort of thing, because of the life experiences. My dad was in the Navy and I had been raised in my elementary school years. I was in Japan. And then in my middle school years, I was on a little island called the Luthra in the Bahamas, where I was taught my catechism for Catholicism, but mm -hmm. it was also taught by a voodoo priestess of the 12 year cycle of the moons, as well as doing all these ceremonies out on the beach. So it was very eclectic. And so when the Native Americans approached me and started bringing me into their ceremonies, that's when uh, the spiritual side of my life. Uh, so I had the analytical biochemist that was highly trained in that regard. But mm -hmm. then I had this uh, mysticism that had been with me most of my life, and I was learning how to harmonize both sides. And that's kind of where the divinity books come from. The uh, I think it was Seeking the Vine, uh, Finding the Divine, Expressing the Divine. And I'm currently writing a book right now, to, uh, this month, actually, with a fellow shaman who's from the Seneca Nation, from more the Iroquois. Uh, we're writing a book called Creating with the Divine, How to Get Clarity When You're at a Crossroads in Your Life. Because I know you know, dude. There are many times we've been at crossroads and how do you kind of walk through that chaos? And so we're writing a book like that. I understand now. So I guess here's another question. So when you're talking divine now, when I think divine, I'm thinking Christianity, that kind of sense, Christianity, Catholicism, on down that line, the higher power. And I know a lot of people talk about divinity being a higher power in any religion. So in your books, are you going through the Christianity? Are you following the different religions and the divinity and divine through those viewpoints? What are you focusing on with your, ser your divine series? The focus is on mysticism, and that crosses all barriers, cultural or spiritual or religious. Some people prefer the term religious. Um, mysticism is that intimate, personal connection with higher source or uh, with the, all, all that is. And mm -hmm. so mysticism is a little bit different from religion in the sense that in religions, you have people who are quite the scholars and they're celebrated because they know their religious texts in whatever way it is. And they can go down all kinds of logistical rabbit holes with people and help people out of their own dilemmas through the word, through mm -hmm. the text that is sacred to them. So that is one format of religion is the scholarly side. But the one unifying theme that you see no matter what religion someone practices is that personal experience of bliss, that personal experience of something more than 
this three-dimensional space-time framework that we're operating in. And that is what I kind of tap into, and that's what I call the path of the mystic. Now, I wish I could say I was the one that came up with that. I didn't. Joseph <laughs> Campbell is one of those that's one, uh, one of the big ones, big proponents in Western literature. But you also have Cahill Cabron. You have several others all throughout the world that they talk about this personal connection with source, uh, personal connection with the I am. And so when you have that, then you, you can start seeing it in some literature, but a lot of times uh, it kind of gets erased away. And that is that feeling where I am God. It doesn't mean that people feel like they are the God. They're very quick to back up on that, but that's where language gets in the way. It's more that mysticism that understands, I know that I know that I know. And it sounds very cyclical, but once you're in that space of understanding of who you are, it makes to total sense. All right. And so if somebody's going to pick up your series and they want to understand mysticism and all this, what would be the first book they should pick up in that series? Or is uh, it any book can be read in any order? It can be read in any order. It is a four-volume set, but I do try to make it as standalone for each book as possible. However, if you kind of want to go through it chronologically and start at volume one and work to volume four, you're welcome to. It It was more, volume one was to let people know my own personal path as well as uh, I was hopeful that anything they learned on volume one, they could uh, also implement in their own life. Volume two was actually when I found the divine, like when I found the divine for me. And that's where I had to break through a lot of paradigms that people and human beings think about themselves when it comes to that. And so that was a little ticklish. It was kind of scary writing that book for me because I was truly putting myself out there. Volume three, Expressing the Divine, is for people who may have already found their I am. They already know who they are. They're already enlightened. Uh, some of the Hindus will call it um, Brahma Charis, or oh, I, I just lost the name. <laughs> but anyhow, people who have come back, they know that they have come back to planet Earth to help mankind and humankind evolve. And so those folks I wrote the third book for, and that's very, very much kind of a, if you experience this, this is the label you may want to use about yourself. I described the five clairs, the clairvoyance, clairaudience, clairsentience, that kind of thing. It would go through the terms of mysticism. And then in volume four, which is uh, coming out in March, is the one on how to create clarity, even though you may be at the crossroads in, in your life. So there you go. Da -dun, done. Those are the four <laughs> volumes. <laughs> Understand. And do you talk much about the different religion or let's just say the different belief systems that are around the world that are involved? Do you discuss the differences in the similarities of those in those? Or is it just a guide to following to get to that point, to the point of divinity? Right. I don't discuss much about other religions or cultures because I am far from an expert. I only mm -hmm. talk about my own personal experience, but that's really the point. Mysticism right. is only about the personal experience. And so all my focus is on you experiencing for yourself what it means to know who you are and why you're on planet and why it's important that you understand why you're on, why you are on planet in this moment in time. All right. So this series can be read by people of many different faiths and religions, not just, and that's kind of where I wanted to find out is if it's stuck to certain religions, certain viewpoints, things like that. But it sounds like you've written it in a way that 
people of any faith or religion should be able to pick it up and find guidance in that to help them get where they need to be. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah, it's that's quite correct. The whole point of this was to show that all these d different religions were actually talking about the same thing. If you want to get into physics a little bit, it was like M theory or string theory. You have five, you had five different theories and it took a guy like Ed Witten to come together and say, no, it's all one. It's different perspectives, but it's all one. And so that was kind of my this was my little feeble contribution to that understanding that if I talk to anybody who is a fellow mystic, and I don't care what religion they belong to, I don't care what language they're using, we have a commonality. As mystics, we understand each other. As soon as you move into religion or spirituality, that's where all of that breaks down. So I always talk to the individual as a fellow mystic. All right. Sounds fantastic. And now, Let's go into the financial section. So what do people expect with your financial books? Are they learning the basics? Like my wife's an accountant and she, there's a lot of that that I understand. And then there's even more that I have no idea about. I mean, my background of the world is writing books, designing restaurants and dealing with construction. I understand numbers, but limitedly. I understand budgets and things like that, too. So what do I expect? What type of person, I guess, is the best one to say should pick up your financial books? Because you have, I remember one, and forgive me, with 12 books, it's hard to remember all the names of them. It's okay. Don't worry but about it. It's one, I think the title discusses saving money oh. or Budgeting and banking yeah. bucks. Right. That's ditch your debt while banking bucks. That's the name yes. of it. And, and and that is a bit of a tongue twister. It was one of those things where I was, it was very late at night <laughs> when I came up with that title. And there were a couple of us on Zoom when I came up with that title. <laughs> I'll take responsibility. Uh, but anyway, the whole purpose of my financial books is to help you live a debt-free life and make sure that you're doing it not in a state of sacrifice, but in a state of abundance. And and so a lot of the work isn't really mindset work. You have a lot of wonderful people who are writing about money mindsets and how to live in a life of abundance and that sort of thing. Mine is insanely practical. It's like, okay, this is how you go about doing it. For every dollar that you get or for any money that comes to you that is not your paycheck, you divide it up according to the 60-40 principle. And I go into great detail and people can go onto my website and they can get the course for free. Like everything but my books are free. Like I, I teach as much as I can for free on that. You can sign up for my 10 Steps to Abundance course and it will walk you through the 60-40 principle. And then once a week uh, on Fridays, I have an open Zoom. So if you have questions, Basically, this was my way when I saw what was happening with Alan Greenspan and where our country was going after the Reagan era, I knew my country was in trouble. I knew I could see the writing on the wall as far as our credit rating as a country we lost our credit rating. So I thought, well, what can I do? I'm just a little old college professor and I'm a mom that's homeschooling my four kids. You know, it's like, what could I do? Well, I could teach people how to live debt free because if I could keep the individuals debt free, no matter what was going on, then that would be a boon to my community, to my country. And so All that's right. what I did. Now, that was something else I wanted to ask since you just mentioned about homeschooling your kids, because trust me, I've, I've had plenty of conversations about different ways to be able to homeschool my kids just because I want them to have the best education I can. And I know, like any good parent, we're going to do what's best and focus more on our kids than 
somebody that's getting paid to do a nine to five. Now, so homeschooling is something that you can't just do part time. I mean, you can either have two parents that are one takes part of the day and then works in the evenings. The other does the other half or one parent does full time with that. You have to also make a lot of financial sacrifices to do homeschooling, limiting pay sometimes, just a ton of different things. How do you suggest people, if they want to, so doing it, you've learned that there's there's financial sacrifices. How do you apply your books to people that have to make these sacrifices or their budget is only X amount and you have 80% that's paying the bills 20% left for food and entertainment. What's your suggestion to those type of people? So the thing is, is what do you want out of life? The reason why people use the words sacrifice is because they think they're not going to be able to get all that they deserve. And so they have to make sacrifices. It's a mindset. And it takes some time to get out of that because that's conditional. It's also something we inherited. So if you came from uh, similar backgrounds like I did, which was very much a blue collar background, and I was one of those lucky few, I was a first generation that went to college. And of course, I was working three jobs and trying to get my college education. And so now I found myself all of a sudden in the white collar world. So if you're, you know, of that mindset, one of the things I like to share with you is the change in mindset. The mindset for people who are uh, what I would call where I came from, which was very much the blue collar world, entertainment is where they spend their excess money. And it's mm -hmm. really based on a mindset of for tomorrow I may die. Uh, I know that sounds very uh, grim, but in, on a, in actuality, the working conditions and the factory when we had the Industrial Revolution, <laughs> you were yeah. never guaranteed anything. You were mm -hmm. never guaranteed anything. And so there is that mindset. So be aware, where are you coming from? Number two is as you move up the socioeconomic ladder and you become into a salaried position or what have you, then that's when 401ks and IRAs and all of that kind of stuff come into play. And then the third is when you are above that echelon, then you're looking into venture capitalism and how can you invest and how can you give back and that sort of thing. It's a very, there's three different mindsets. Now you're like, but Janine, I asked you about homeschooling. <laughs> well, this is all tied together. Please realize uh, when I was homeschooling my children, I studied kings and queens and how did they educate their children because mm -hmm. they were taking over a monarchy. Now, we didn't don't have that necessarily in the United States. So what did I do? I went to the Rockefellers. OK, mm -hmm. I went to the Carnegie's or Carnegie. It depends on where in the country you are. <laughs> how you pronounce that? Right. You know, I went to the Vanderbilt's. Uh, I went to these families that we know have money that has stayed generationally how mm -hmm. do they educate their children tutors and homeschooling they would mm -hmm. put them into private institutions afterwards for finishing schools or for certain degree programs depending upon what the family needed okay so when it comes to homeschooling and you're talking about making sacrifices instead i would like you to kind of start looking at the fact that yes i realize there's only so much money that you have and you have to divvy it up i'm not i'm not totally pollyanna here i understand where you are in that regard but at the same time it's helpful to know would you really choose any other lifestyle for you and your family and most homeschoolers go absolutely not i want to raise my children right i had a horrific 
background and education. I don't want them to be mm-hmm. like me. I want them to evolve. I want them to bloom outside of my box that I was in, right? Most families right. want that for their kids. And mm-hmm. so in order to do that, it's going to require you to really know what you want out of life. What do you want for yourself? Because the best way you can teach your children is to know what you want out of life. And they watching you go after what you want, the life you want, the experiences you want are going to define for them. Oh, so that's how mom did that. Or that's how dad did that. Huh? What do I want? And it causes that introspection to happen. And a lot of discontent comes from people not knowing what they want. All right. Now, with that, it was also what you're trying to, I guess, so I can make sure I'm on the right page and everyone listening that's on the right page. So basically, if I'm understanding you correctly, what you are saying and what your books are getting at would be that you need to prioritize your finances for what kind of life you want and what you want to do. So some of that entertainment value needs to be changed from TV, books, streaming, well, you can never have enough books, but here, 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 here. I was about ready to, I was waiting on you to finish your sentence before I was like, ah, oh, just a minute. Yeah. I mean, I have a problem. I'm inheriting my grandma's books after she passed and we're looking at getting more books. I built, built bookshelves in my office so I can keep books. We got, we're moving the books into my kids' rooms. I mean, there's enough books here. Let's just say there's never a problem finding something to read. I'm even lending books out to my neighbors saying, you know, if you don't return it, as long as you don't throw it away, it's fine. So, but basically, as long as people are prioritizing their money for the future or for the life they want, that 60-40 rule can apply in that situation. Uh, 60-40 can apply to anyone. I I have had people that are making $226,000 a year uh, but they had $178,000 in credit card debt. So according to most standards, they were incredibly wealthy. This is back in the early 90s. But right. according to my standards, they were freaking impoverished. Okay, mm-hmm. so do you understand the difference? So if you're living a debt-free lifestyle, then it's not so much about the income. It's about how are you divvying it up. The other thing with the homeschooling thing and, and the mindset Literally, before you decide how you're going to divvy up your money, how you're going to prioritize, you really have to know what you want. So I knew the exact life I wanted for my children. I knew how I wanted to be as a mom to my children. I knew I did not want to work in corporate America and have to raise my children. I saw women doing that. We didn't Mm -hmm. have maternity leave at the time. I was working in a very hazardous environment. I had radioactivity and viruses, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And so I knew what kind of mom I wanted to be. I dropped out of the workforce because I knew that my job would get in the way of my kids. Now, the 60-40 was born because of that, because (laughs) I then had to prioritize the money. So you see, I was very clear on what I wanted first. Mm -hmm. Then I worked on the money. And what happens is people work on the money. They get to feeling sacrifice, you know, sacrifice because they don't know what they want. They don't have a a target to shoot a dart at. And if you don't have that target on the wall, then it leaves you feeling very incomplete. And yeah, then it's a freaking sacrifice. And I totally agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll admit in my early 20s and even in my beginning of the 30s, 
even into my later 30s, the whole finding a direction and how I wanted to live was a concern. And yeah, like you said, once you figure out the direction of life you want, that makes figuring out how to get everything organized a lot easier. Mm -hmm. Do you discuss those type of things? Because you said it's not a mindset book. It's a practical book. Right. So do you I, discuss yeah. that topic? I do discuss the topic, but I do it in the kind of old school way. It used to be, um, oh, good heavens, I think it was Stephen Covey who first made it popular, but it actually comes from Benjamin Franklin, and that was writing your eulogy. Benjamin Franklin was one of the founding fathers that I really admired because for his day, he was a genius and he was one of the best entrepreneurs. <laughs> oh my goodness. That man, oh. every time you turned around, he had another print shop that was going up or fireman's insurance. And mm -hmm. oh my goodness, it's just incredible, incredible. So anyway, with him, he talked about if you plan out what you want to achieve when you die, like how do you want your best friend to talk about you when you're dead? When you focus on that, it's amazing how everything else falls in place. And because my mother had died when I was quite young, I was like, yeah, you never know for tomorrow I may die, right? I had very much that mindset. And so I was like, okay, if, if tomorrow I'm going to die, then how am I going to handle things today? And so that's how I ran pretty much for my early 20s. But then as I hit my 30s, I realized, huh, well, I'm still alive. So I may want to start planning things out a little bit better. <laughs> right. And then, then when you have children, I didn't have children until I was 35. Um, when I started having children, it was like, ooh, I have another generation to think about now. <laughs> yeah. And so it kind of extends it. So it's not a mindset book. It really is what kind of life experiences do you want to participate in before you die? That's kind of how I framed it for my students. So that is the focus of the book. And then I give you the how-tos. Okay, you know, this is how you go about doing the 60-40 principle. This is how you go about saving up money. This is what you do. And then I have all kinds of resources because I'm a scientist. <laughs> so I have references in the back. Here are some other books you may want to read. <laughs> so, good to there have. you go. Well, perfect. So it sounds like that's a very helpful tool for people. And your website and your information gives lots of places for people to get more information on how to achieve this. So we still have two more genres that you write in. So, I mean, and I feel like we're just starting to scratch the surface of your books and all this. So tell me real quick, if you don't mind, the author, because I know... For some reason, authors love listening to other authors, and you have a author, author's podcasting book. What does that cover? So does that talk to people about starting a podcast, like what you and I are doing right now? I mean, you have a podcast that you've been doing, I think it's five season, and you've combined four shows into one, or I forget if you have all five, all four <laughs> there you was a lot, lot there. <laughs> you have a lot going on. I do have a lot going on. And it has a tendency <laughs> to overwhelm people, which is why I always say, what do you want to talk about? And they go, well, I don't know. You pick a topic. I'm going to, no, seriously, you need to pick the topic. And I'll, it's just when you've been a professor for so long and you've been asked to teach so many different things, you, uh, you kind of gain uh, an encyclopedia kind of uh, aspect to you. So one of the things that I did with author podcasting, it was to teach authors how to take their book on a virtual tour. That book came out right at two, uh, 2019, I believe. And the reason for that was because 
I was a podcaster. I had four podcasts that I was running at that time. And I was so sick and tired of people not knowing how to be on a podcast, which is why I was grinning when you were like, oh, well, do you have water? Are you ready? And I was like, oh, man, this guy is great. I love this guy. So (laughs) but that was why, because so many people did not know how to promote not only themselves, but their book. And I don't mean promote, sell, 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 buy my book, buy my stuff. I meant how to educate people to see if you were even somebody they wanted to you know, get into your journey with. I mean, you want to make sure you attract the right kind of people because you want to cater to the people who need you most, right? And so that was where author podcasting came from. That book was to teach authors how to do a media kit and then how to take their book on a virtual tour through the podcasting world. The second book that you uh, brought up was The Thriving Solopreneur. Right. That book came up in 2020, and that's when everybody was losing jobs and all the shutdowns, and people were in a panic, and I don't blame them. Um, And so I wrote that book because I had so many people say, hey, I joined this MLM. I've never run a business before. Can you help me run a business? Because I've been running businesses since I was 10 years old. I'm a serial entrepreneur. (laughs) I absolutely love it. I build up a business. I sell it. I build up a business. I sell it. So that has been my model. So they were asking about that. And so that's where the thriving solopreneur came from. All right. Now, do you give details or what kind of with, um, because I want to talk touch on both the books because they both interest me oh I okay say your, your your whole series just interests me and in, okay from a to b so and like you said you have 12 books so there's a lot to cover so i agree i'm i'm gonna skip over the author i think author podcasting sh- every author that goes on a podcast should get something to help them because i mean if you watch some of the videos i love the authors i've had on but sometimes a little assistance would be nice. But again, I've had great authors. I've enjoyed almost every one of them. And I would love to talk with them all again. But again, the solar entrepreneur. I'm a serial entrepreneur myself. I've, if, I know when COVID hit and everything just crashed, I went out freelancing doing design. I ended up doing my own thing so that I could make sure I made money. I did whatever, and I found jobs, whatever it took. What what does that book focus on? It does it focus on getting started, getting in the mindset? Because a serial entrepreneur is not really something that, I guess, you either catch the bug or you just have it in you from the moment you take your first breath. <laughs> and I know when I was a kid, I, was, I remember between shoveling snow, my fir- I remember the first business that I joke that the government shut down because my school told me I'm no longer allowed to sell candy in school, things like that. So, I mean, that's great. We all do things to try to have businesses. What focus does your book go into? The Thriving Solopreneur focuses on people who are just starting their business or they've been in business about a year and they want to know how do I get more clients? How do I get more income? It is uh, the subtitle is. The uh, nurturing your business in four hours a week. And people are like, well, does that mean you only work four hours a week? I'm like, no, somebody already wrote that book. No, no, this is a different book. 
<laughs> this one is how to nurture your business. Basically, there's four hours a week where we you do prospecting, follow-up, connecting, and you train yourself. Those are the four hours a week. And when you follow those principles, it's amazing how your business grows. And then eventually you get to a point where you no longer can be a solopreneur because you have so much nurturing that you've done and so many new clients coming on board. The systems that got you up and running will not be the systems that keep you affluent. Therefore, oh. that's when you start getting your uh, virtual assistants and an executive assistant and start getting help in the form of freelancers. And it used to be you used to have to hire people, which, as you and I both know, is extremely expensive, cumbersome mm -hmm. and <laughs> scary because there's yeah. so many ways you can get into trouble. Right. Hiring another person. Now we have so many freelancers running around. What with Upwork and TaskRabbit. And, oh, my gosh, there's just so much uh, Fiverr. Mm -hmm that uh, we can hire people now that are willing, that are also solopreneurs, that right. are willing to support our business with theirs. And that exactly. is a really cool place to be. Well, especially nowadays where you can access, like you said, Upworks, Fiverr, just a slew of places to go. And there's even ones that are specialized for industries. Mm -hmm. And like you said, there's a lot of danger. I know my mom's HR, so... I get a lot of understanding of the different consequences that can happen if you have employees and the things that can happen if you don't do the right things. Interview, at, even before you hire them, you can get in trouble just interviewing. So that's fantastic. What, I guess, what type of person, because not everyone's going to be an entrepreneur. A lot of people have that mindset of, oh, I want to have a business. I know when I first started out, I worked in this restaurant equipment place where I did the design for them. And I couldn't tell you how many people came in going, oh, I want to start a restaurant. I'm like, okay, what kind of food do you want? Well, I don't know. Well, what do you, what kind of location do you plan on having? Well, brick and mortar. No, no, like location, strip mall, in a mall, solo. Are you going to be in the middle of the street? What are you doing? I don't know. So I got a lot of people coming in wanting equipment, wanting pricing, wanting designs without understanding any bit of the industry they were trying to get into. They only knew that they enjoy cooking at home. So they thought that they can start a restaurant and cook the restaurant, cook for people. And I had to explain to them, there's a difference between cooking at home, cooking for a hobby, and then cooking on something that runs at 5,000 BTU or 50,000 BTUs that cooks something that you take 20 minutes to cook, it cooks in five or so minutes. Doing all that is a completely different scenario compared to the the home business, the the my part-time thing, the whatever. Does your book address that? Because I know that's a topic that a lot of people just don't really think about when they're getting into stuff. So... The answer is the quick answer is no, actually. It does not go into that at all. Uh, nurturing your business in four hours a week is for, uh, it started off for people that had joined some sort of an MLM. So right. whether you were in Mary Kay, Young Living, you know, it doesn't matter which one, send out cards. There's gobs of mm -hmm. uh, MLMs. These people had no clue how to run their, they were learning how to run their business, but they weren't learning how to nurture the business so that they could continue to get new leads, new people coming in. They didn't know how to network, that sort of thing. So that is what I was talking about as far as uh, the nurturing your business. What you're talking about is people not having a vision. Again, 
Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, it goes right back to what we were talking about before. They didn't know what they wanted, right? So Mm -hmm. do you see where, answer that one question. There were were people, I've had relationships with some of my dear, dear friends who for 30 years, I've asked them, well, what do you want? And they go, oh my God, Janine, if you say that to me one more time, I'm going to scream. I'm like, (laughs) do you have an answer? And of course, that's the problem. No. Right. And, And so- 95% 95% of the problems and the discontent and the anger that people have is number one, they're afraid they're not going to get what they want. And number two, they're afraid they are going to get what they want. So if until you know what that is, you don't know whether to start celebrating or just to be angry. Oh, I understand. And makes perfect sense to me. I know I once was told you don't plan a 10-year plan you plan a five-year and then the second five-year so that you basically have that first five-year goal and then you reorganize after that to hit your next five-year goal. So, I mean, so it sounds like it's your your books take people after they figure out their first five-year or whatever length they're choosing and directing them how to achieve that goal. So, I mean, that sounds like they're all useful tools, useful information that people definitely should be getting. Because mm-hmm. as it's always said, information is power, and I'm a huge component of that. So, Janine, I wanted to thank you very much for being on. I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed talking with you. And honestly, I would would love to have you on again. I think that just the information, the listeners and everybody that's paying attention to this show you can provide them so much and I know I got quite a bit out of you being here. So thank you again. I do appreciate it. Where do people find you if they want to find you? I have the links you provided me. They're on a profile that I have for you on authorblurb.com. They're in the show notes. So if you're watching it on YouTube, Rumble, audio, wherever you're watching, listening, whatever, I have your links below as well. But where does people go to find you? Where's the best place you prefer them to reach out to you? I highly recommend you reach out to me on LinkedIn, because if you're on LinkedIn, uh, even if you just create an account real quick, then a member of my team, either Lynette or Michelle, will reach out to you and then get you a link so you can get on my open Zoom meeting, which is my open Friday coffee. I don't do one-to-one meetings anymore unless you want to hire me as a production (laughs) company. (laughs) However, I do have these open Friday coffees. And we have sometimes we have four people, sometimes we have 17. But if you have a question for me, the other thing is, is you also get onto a list of mine so that you can see all the free open rooms that I have so that I take care of my readers. So like if you read The Thriving Solopreneur and you're confused, I have a Thursday open room for an hour and a half every Thursday where I help entrepreneurs. And then there's also the open Friday coffee for my 6040 people, as well as for my author podcasting and the divinity folks. So I have times where I open rooms up, but you kind of have to cater to that time for me. And that's how I take care of my my readers, because you're important to me. I want to take care of you. That's a fantastic thing to do. That that just shows me that you even have more on your plate than I even knew about. So thank you again. I do thank appreciate it. This is going to be the end of the conversation for everybody else. But if you can hold on for just one more moment, I would appreciate it. I'm glad you made it this far to the end of the show. I hope you've enjoyed it because that's what it's all about. I'd also like to suggest that you take the time and go find the other authors that are here. Find that author that you're going to love and you're going to want to share. It's all about the authors, and that's why I'm here. Now, if you enjoy the show, 
I like to ask you to do me a favor. If you think it's worth it, go to the website, authorblurb.com. You can donate money, donate crypto, buy me a cup of coffee, things like that that helps me support keeping the show going. Right now, I don't do anything to try to delay, add, distract you. Everything's out of my pocket, and everything is meant to make authors be able to grow their audience and grow your attention. So, as always, thank you for being here. I hope you come back for the next show. And, again, take the time, explore authorblurb.com. There's a lot there that you will be very happy to take the time to enjoy. And as final note, rate, review, shoot me an email through authorblurb.com. That way you can at least let me know what you think. I'm happy to always see reviews and hear what you think. Thank you. Have a good day.